Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Listen In Podcast. It's episode 176, June 17th, 2020. Jake, this week, Sandy Alex G, dropped the Sandy from his name. Yeah. Ending the Sandy Alex G era. Does this mean that things are going to turn around for America and the world in 2020? I like this angle. I hadn't thought of this. Um, I would like to imagine that hopefully there's some cosmic correlation between the adoption of the parenthetical Sandy before Alex G's moniker and the current chaos that is our our, uh, way of life. We talked about this a lot in the after show pre-show. We touched on Black Lives Matter. We touched on the protests. We touched on coronavirus. We also touched on this idea of Sandy Alex G aligning pretty closely with the tumultuous Trump presidency years. Are we going to look back in 20 years and say, ooh, those Sandy Alex G years, those were some weird ones. Yeah, I think it finally ended in 2020. I think many historians may remember this period as the as the Sandy Alex G era. Um, And and, and we're all happy to see this is a historic moment. This is like a the Berlin Wall coming down type of moment, honestly. It's a signifier <laughs> it really of great change. Obviously, we're making it, light, but the, 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 it is yeah. interesting to me that he adopted this and then got rid of it. Do you know the reason why? I read that he, it was never clear actually um, why he even put it on. It was a copyright thing, or, or, or well, as someone else had the name Alex G. Uh, an artist a musical artist um and there was a a conflict there so he took on sandy instead but i think he maybe now owns that creative kind of name and can put his stuff out under or he just doesn't care anymore i don't know but i know it was because someone else had the, the recording name alex g i feel like the argument could just be like that's literally my first name and last initial and like i yeah i know what do you want me to do? I, I always thought that too. And it was like this other person was pretty obscure. I don't know. So I'm glad he got it back. Cause I've always not loved the Sandy thing. I always sort of ignored it. Me too. I, I don't like called it. him Alex G. Um, I, I never, cause I knew this was going to happen. I did know. I was like, no, at, at a certain point, he's going to own just Alex G again. It might not be now, but he'll get it back in the One future. Of these days. And now he has. So if you go back and listen to most of our pods, I don't think we really ever say Sandy Alex G. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, maybe sometimes, or when we mentioned it, we would sometimes, be, but when, when we would mention it, we would like kind of, I think kind of make fun of the Sandy part. Yeah, we, I think we would, we, we would, it would always be like Sandy <laughs> Alex G. Um, yeah. So we'll see, maybe that will align with, shit not being as chaotic anymore but stick around for the after show pre-show uh for some more on that stuff speaking of um kind of the tumult in the world jake uh related to all of the conversation around black lives matter um j cole has put out a new song actually called snow on the bluff and it is all about the death of george floyd all about kind of the black lives movement um, and he had uh, a few bars in here that seemed to be about No Name, uh, another rapper that we've talked about on this podcast. Yeah, many times. Um, this all just broke today, and, and I, I found it really interesting 
sort of that J. Cole would call, not necessarily call her out this way, but allude to her in this way. And I'll, and I'll read it to you. Yeah, I have not she heard goes, this. She, she, she mad at the celebrities. Low-key, I'd be thinking she's talking about me. Now, I ain't no dummy to think I am above criticism. So when I see something that's valid, I listen. But shit, it's something about the queen tone that's bothering me. She strikes me as somebody blessed enough to grow up in conscious environment with parents that know about the struggle for liberation and in turn they provide her with perspective and awareness of the system and fairness that afflicts them. This is fascinating. Whoa, that's like sort of like pretty interesting. Okay. And and everyone's like, oh, this is about no name. It's basically saying, like, hey, you definitely like know what you're talking about here, but I'm also trying to do like my own thing. And J. Cole has been out. I've seen him at protests, like on the street with people. He has never shied away from having these conversations. And he's sort of like, look, we're all trying to learn. We're all trying to do stuff here. I'm open to criticism. I'm open to being like taught and to learn more about this stuff. But you are kind of criticizing me. And I don't, I don't know about that in this queen tone. Do you know what that's referring to? I don't. Do you? Okay. It's, it's sort of like a, uh, the best way I can describe it is it's a Twitter voice. It's a oh. voice that you can kind of take on okay. through your tweet. Queen tone. And, and honestly, like, it's sort of that very, like, we're not going to take this no more, like, kind of, like, very positive sort of like i'm i'm a queen like i'm gonna you know like we're not gonna stand for this anymore it is a tone that no name i think takes on with her tweets it's a voice that she uses on twitter um i've never heard it referred to as queen tone before i think that's really interesting that it like is called that but everyone immediately identified it as no name and she sent out a tweet today that just said queen tone all caps and people are like oh are they feuding what's going on now everyone on twitter is sort of taking a side i've seen a lot of people be like look i think j cole had every right to be like hey look i'm out here doing my thing you're doing yours like let's talk no room for criticism here other people are like oh it's another man trying to tell a woman how to act on twitter or whatever i see it from both sides here so i think this is a fascinating music related story with everything that's going on. So let me try to understand this. The, 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 the sort of complaint he is lodging against no name is that she is aware of the systems that are in place and she makes that apparent and she's very active in a way, but disparaging of people who are less so. And he's saying, you actually probably had certain advantages in your personal life that made it so you're yep. more aware of this. So for you to yep. treat people who are just learning it, yep. whatever systemic thing she's pointing out, for you to treat them as lesser than or as ignorant is perhaps not the best way to approach it. I know I'm not saying I co-sign Correct. any of that, but is that basically what he's sort of saying, you think? That's, that's what I get out of this new song, yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, or at least that part, that specific part I called out. Yeah. I didn't know about this at all. And is there any back context to do with like, did she ever call out J Cole directly in the song? Um, so, okay. Th- this kind of goes back and 
Genius is actually a really helpful resource. That's what I'm on right now, the, the lyric site Genius, um, where it really breaks this all down, where, where someone, um, a couple of different people have kind of added to this, where they've said, J. Cole may be subtly speaking about No Name, a multi-genre artist from Chicago who has been extremely vocal uh, alongside the rise in Black Lives Matter. During the protest, she has called out the system of capitalism, the American policing system, in the history of America that white people took over, but has also called out many celebrities, both black and white, for not taking part in the movement and oh, using okay. the platform and resources to progress the cause. So there it is. Um, she's been especially harsh with wealthy black men playing into white supremacy by not directly calling out the different forms of white supremacy. Cole thought she may have been talking about himself, especially after she made multiple tweets about con quote unquote conscious rappers not speaking up on the Black Lives Matter issue earlier in the year. Um, that's really interesting because I would say J. Cole has always kind of positioned himself as like one of the more conscious rappers. Uh, obviously, Kendrick Lamar would be another one. And I think she was calling out Kendrick with that, too. I did see tweets from her very early on when these protests were starting where she was saying, like, you made your career with this kind of music and now you're silent. Um, a few days later, Kendrick was at a protest in Compton. Um, so she has been pretty vocal about, mm. um, you know, some of these these male rappers maybe not speaking up as much as she is. But I think to J. Cole's point, they don't necessarily have the same perspective or, or the same context that she does. So can't we all work together on this? Mm. Um, this it, is it, it's an interesting thing. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to bring it up to say, oh, this person's right or that one's wrong or, or agree with one or the other. I bring it up because this is just one example of the many different types of conversations I think that are happening across social media, in person, among friends, family, whatever, broadening perspectives um, and, and taking a more empathetic view of things. Because I think they're both talking from an empathetic standpoint. No names bring up incredibly relevant things. Um, and I think her criticism of J. Cole or other rappers who, you know, maybe don't speak up on this as much as they could, that's valid. Jake Cole's criticism is also valid. Um, so I, I think there's a broadening of perspectives that's happening, and this is just one example of that. It seems to me that if they, if they spoke, I bet they would agree on 99% of things. It, exactly. This, you know? this also feels like a bit of a distraction, I will say. Um, I don't know how much this actually matters in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Uh, when, you know, people are literally being killed in the streets, but it's an especially tricky thing. I'm gonna, I think it's good for the, the line you drew makes sense. And what I was going to say is that this feels like something where it is certainly not valid for me to have an opinion really either way. It's right. just, it's like, it's, it, you know, yep. it, is, it probably would be very tone deaf for us to take a side in any way, certainly, uh, you know, because, it, but it, you're right. That, that's fascinating. That's really interesting. Um, and I had not heard about that. I, I, I've always really liked No Name, and I've listened to some J. Cole. I know you're pretty into him. Um, but I definitely yeah. have the sense that he was I a pretty like Cole. socially conscious rapper. Um, yeah. And certainly she gives off the same vibe in her music. Um, wow. Okay. That's fascinating. Yeah. That all, that all broke today. Originally, it was just going to be the Sandy Alex G news. And then uh, this J. Cole No Name thing blows up. But Anyways, um, this episode, we're going to talk uh, about our top 10 albums of 2020 so far. Um, we're both going to break down the top 10. But first, let's quickly do a hot thoughts, Jake, for the last few weeks that we weren't podcasting. 
Um, if you recall our last episode, we it was on the eve of the release of the 1975, uh, their new album, Notes on a Conditional Form. Yep. Um, this came out with, I, I think, quite a bit of fanfare and buzz. Right. And I feel like has quickly disappeared from any sort of discourse. Yeah. Um, but maybe that's just me because my whole thought on this album is I, I, I don't really care about it that much. Uh, I mean, I couldn't agree more with you on that. I, the, the way I, so it's what an hour 20, it's like 80 minutes long. It's long. It's long. Yeah. And it, it's more of the sort of self-important stuff that the 1975 has done in the past. It looked like, honestly, it's, it's a similar thing to, what I just brought up with J. Cole and No Name. It's like with the 1975, I probably agree with them on most things. Like when they, you know, when they have Greta Thunberg on at the opening to have, you know, a pretty much uninterrupted four minute platform to speak. That's really cool. Where I always run into trouble with the 1975, at least where I have on the last few albums, um, is that I just, in so many instances, don't care that much about the music. I just don't. I, I don't love the sound. It has this kind of sterile, very clean, um, you know, sort of clinical pop rock sound that, that it just it doesn't do a ton for me. Some songs always do. On every album, there's always moments that I like. But I'll be totally honest. I listened to this album one time. I have not gone back to it. And I have not thought about it since that listen. Yeah, you bring up a good point about you know, I agree with a lot of what the 1975 are about and what they say. I think Maddie Healy is a great frontman and personality. Uh, I like keeping up with his antics on social media and seeing him as a voice. I think starting this album off with four, almost five minutes of a Greta uh, Thunberg uh, monologue about climate change is really impactful, especially when that goes into a song as aggressive uh, as people. I think it's a great one-two punch uh, to start this album. And when I listened for the first time, I was like, oh, wow, like this, is, this could be pretty cool. And the longer it went on, and the more sort of genre exercises it, they did, um, the more I realized the 1975, they don't care about their music. And they let you know that by the fact that they're like, we don't care so much that we're going to do tongue-in-cheek genre exercises every other song. And we're going to make them catchy enough that you will think they're maybe good. But there's like nothing there. Everything's like this ironic sort of shrug or joke. That, it, but, but it's like they don't even care enough to make a joke yeah, or, it's... or to say anything that smart. They're just like, we're just doing Like, dude, there's a song on here that sounds exactly like a Bonnie Vare song, but like sucks because, yeah. because they're trying to do that. And like pick, pick, pick what genre you want to hear. And if there's a song on this album that I can point you to. Two, th two thoughts. It's kind of a mile wide and an, an inch deep to use an expression. I think yes. I've heard you say before. And here I, I've been, I was kind of struggling with this because it's like in some ways an artist kind of can't win with an album like that, where they're trying all kinds of different genre explorations. And I was like, what is it that's different with the 1975? And it's like, if you think about the Beatles with the white album, which is the classic classic example of an album where they're just going to try a little everything. There's music hall on there. There's country. Some of it works. Some of it doesn't. That's the fun. Why does it work for a band like that versus the 1975? And I think the reason is 
for the bands that it works for, they've earned your trust. They've earned, right. They've made, you know what I mean? Like the Beatles obviously is a very exaggerated example as one of the best bands of all time, but like they had earned everyone's trust and belief through years of constant productivity and interesting music and increasingly good songwriting. And you earn that the 1975, in my opinion, have always felt like a band that has not earned the reputation they kind of fancy themselves as having. And it yep. rubs me the wrong way. And like, look, I, like even if I agree with their stances, it doesn't mean that I think their music's that interesting. They didn't cut their teeth yep. on enough yep. great songwriting, in my opinion. And like, uh, that's sort of just how I kind of that, feel about that's, it. That's I, I couldn't agree more. At the end of the day, the songs just aren't there. There's something missing. There's an emptiness there. That, but that that's sort of also what they think is a feature for them is they're like, Hey, we we're so post everything that like, we don't even care what genre we are. We'll, we're gone. You know, we'll do anything and like, we'll make it good. And it's just like, I have a hard time. The type of music listener I am, I have a hard time buying into that as like, a like, like a piece of art i get like it's yeah just absolutely. makes me feel like they don't care yeah and it's, it's it seems disingenuous and it's like it's going to get its share of accolades it's going to get positive reviews um and there will be undeniably cool moments on it but it just feels like this was an i mean they, dude they, they this album was already named two years ago it just feels like this stuff is like ready to go out of the they have it re- ready in the hopper they're just yeah. like, like it's going to be called this pseudo intellectual kind of title and it'll be like kind of it'll seem thoughtful and it'll seem really insightful but it's like there's not yep. much substance to it and like look again i listened one time i'm probably not going to listen again i don't have any interest come back to me in a few months if someone's out there who's like dude i've listened nonstop for a month i love this album i'm right. living, sleeping eating and breathing this album i'll give it another <laughs> listen i don't think i'm gonna find that person i don't think i'm gonna find that guy no Who's out there? Who's like, man, this no. really notes on a conditional form really like fucked me up. <laughs> Cut to me late August, and I'm a like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, hey, if you, if that happens, I'll go back. You know what I mean? But I just don't see that. Yeah, experience. never say never, man. 2020's been wild, so who knows? What's true enough. Happen. True enough. Uh, moving on, I, I quickly want to hit on the new Gunna album, Jake, uh, which is called Wanna. Um, which stands do you know what this stands for i imagine it was like you're gonna want to listen um that's what i kind of thought um it meant to until i saw this interview in rolling stone where it actually stands for wealthy unapologetic naturally authentic um wow and he's like Dude, I don't. He's like, I don't even know what it means. I was just high. He's <laughs> like, that is so on the nose because this is music made for people to listen to when they are high or under the influence of substances. <laughs> this music is so numbingly crafted and like the same on every <laughs> song. You could only possibly. <laughs> start to enjoy it if like you're 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 numb you know like 
the music's numb, you have to be numb, and then that numbness creates like new feeling almost. And then you can be like, oh, this song's different from that one because of this. And like, this is actually good about this one. The first time I listened to this, I thought it was terrible. I hated it. And you know I love Gunna, Jake. You hated I it. I love Gunna. I love Lil Baby. And I listened to this. I was like, this is bad. I was like, there's one good song on here. And it's the young, it's the first young thug feature. Yeah. Doll is on my head. I was like, okay, let me go back. The more I listened, Gunna's a grower, Jake. He's a grower artist. The more I listened, the more I was able to slip into those numbed grooves that Gunna crafts. Bingo. And I was able to just start to get it. And while I don't think this is as good as the Gunna and Lil Baby collabs, like their, their absolute peak, like Drip Too Hard, um, or sold out dates or anything like that. I think there's a lot of solid stuff on here. The Young Thug feature, Dollars on My Head, um, Skybox. He, he brings Lil Baby on for one feature called Blindfold. Very good. Travis Scott drops by for a feature, which is pretty decent. Young Thug comes back around on the last track for another feature called On Far. Like the features, the songs that are features on this are, are probably my favorite, but overall, this is like ambient trap. Mm-hmm. Like if you can just let this sit, you'll eventually be like, oh yeah, I like that little bit. And then you forget it. And then you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah this part, this part. And then like, you can just kind of let it sit in the back. But it's for it's, it's so numbing. There is so much here. It can be like too much, but I finally got around to it. And I actually do, I, I enjoy it. It's, it's okay. It's decent. It's not like a top 10. We're not going to be talking about it um it's a top five minutes or anything but it's you know it's decent yeah um i have no thoughts on it i have not listened to it i probably won't i have listened no i don't i don't think don't don't listen to it yeah i I I just don't have the interest this this album's not you're not gonna like it (laughs) like and it's not no one that i like even want you to listen to You know, like, yes. no, like, don't listen to this. Cause I just, I, you know, that's, that's totally fair. I just know, I, I, I know how to pick my spots a little better these days. I'm just like, yeah. probably not going to step within any, just not going to get close to it. Dude, um, it's 50 minutes. Like, yeah. You don't need that. No interest really. Um, let's quickly talk about the Gia Margaret album because that you mentioned ambient yeah. and uh, this yeah. album from what I understand is an ambient album because she had some kind of vocal injury and that made her, that forced her to like reconsider the way she was making music. I think this album is awesome. I'll be talking, I will be talking about this album in a few minutes when we get to our top 10 albums of the year so far list. Um, I I will, I will let you talk more about it then, but I, I agree with you. This has been very enjoyable. Um, and, yeah, I, the the news that she lost her ability to sing due to due to an illness uh, is fascinating because it ended up giving us this beautiful, mostly instrumental album um, with some very interesting vocal samples in it as well, which I'm sure you'll talk about. But yeah, yeah, we'll get to it. I've been I've been really enjoying this one as well. Yeah, the other one, and I'll have more to say about this one later too, is is the new Run the Jewels, RTJ4, which came out amidst yeah. um, 
all the uh, the George Floyd protests and everything that all the social unrest that came out as a result of that. Um, and you know, I think that it was a pretty perfectly timed release. Um, it certainly felt like it spoke to the moment a lot. I, it's funny. I saw Killer Mike on CNN like four times or something. Like he was, he kept yeah. being on CNN, and the anchors were like trying to relate to him. Saw some awkward interactions between oh him and one of the. I forget her name, but like she was interviewing him. And like when he signed off, he was like love to her. Like he just said love and and she yeah. tried to say it back. She's like, love, love. And I just, oh, like, no. I just, every inch of my body cringed, but oh, killer Mike and LP have, especially killer Mike have been really active and vocal in a really positive way. And he goes on these shows and he makes public appearances and is incredibly articulate and is really well, like he thinks through all this stuff and has a, like, he's not messing around. Like this dude's legit and goes out there and like stands up for social change and stuff. So, and and knows his stuff about it too. He's not repeating platitudes. He knows like his stuff, which is really cool. Yeah. um, This, the, the moment that this came out in was, was perfect. Like you said, um, of, all of the run the jewels albums and and i have never been as much of a fan of their music i love them as like a duo yeah more than i've loved their albums um this is probably my favorite to be honest with you. that's good to hear i found myself going back to it and i've really enjoyed it in a way that the other ones i never quite got to so that's good and, and i think a lot of that has to do with maybe everything going on right now but um it also incidentally and and we can discuss this more later it it also i think is among their best work i mean they have four albums i think it's it's one of the two best in my opinion so okay all right so yeah that's that's great um all right so let's dive in let's let's talk about our top 10 albums of 2020 so far um do you want we both have 10 let's switch off back and forth i'll i'll start i'll start with my number 10 and then you can go and we'll we'll work our way down but i want to talk about the year in music so far i I actually can't believe that we're halfway through already um i think music has taken a little bit of a backseat to the rest of the world uh lately um it's hard to engage with it in the same way or to take it as hyper seriously as maybe we do in years past um just because things are are put into perspective and and life is different uh this year so that being said um i i I think it's actually been a pretty strong year uh when i was making this top 10 uh, it wasn't difficult at all to pick 10 albums i really really liked and i have a number of honorable mentions that also could have been in the top 10 so i although music has not been quite as important on my list of things um it's still been a very good year and i I think it's challenging to uh, analyze it or to grade it in the moment um it's going to be really interesting to look back in five or ten years uh, about what this year for music was and what stands out uh, all those years later because i i have a feeling it Maybe it'll be the same, but I have a feeling like weird stuff is going to stick out that we don't even realize right now. I fully agree with you where it's been harder than past years for me to focus on the narrative around albums or to really spend any amount of time I don't want to spend listening to albums I'm not interested in listening to. And I think that that's a trend we both have seen, but I think especially this year I've really fallen into 
I'm going to listen to the albums that bring me some kind of joy or bring me some kind of, uh, you know, enjoyment. Like I, I'm going to spend my time with those albums and like the ones that I'm just not feeling, I can acknowledge that maybe they're great. I can acknowledge that other people are going to find them interesting or good. I'm, it is less interesting me, to me at this point in my life to, in an encyclopedic way, have some kind of mm-hmm. take or have some kind of thought about every album that comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm sure that's manifested on the podcast. I think that's been a steady uh, sort of process over the last few years. But this year, like especially with everything going on, working from home constantly, yeah. it's just it's it's settled into more like I'm going to listen to music more for what I enjoy. And I, and I will say, uh, I was also pleasantly surprised but also like not surprised because i knew this how easy it was to fill a top 10 i had and i have a bunch of honorable mentions Mm -hmm. there's been so many good albums this year even with that kind of different attitude i I think ultimately that's a much healthier way to approach all of this um is to spend time with the ones that really resonate with you um maybe that's what this podcast was the whole time jake it was just us learning how to have a, a healthier relationship with things in our life that we like or, um, or realizing that, like, you know, if you listen to a Hot Thoughts segment or, you know, a segment of, of us talking about an album in 2016, 2017, one that, like, clearly we didn't listen to enough and, like, weren't going to really take the time to digest but felt like we had to manufacture a take, like, maybe it's actually just more interesting for people to talk about the stuff that really resonates with them in some way. Or, exactly. You know? Yes. Anyways, that's meta-analysis exactly. of the podcast. Although... In 2016, we were doing song by song breakdowns of Life of Pablo. Um, yes, so we were. that we there was also a lot more work being put into it, but I think we've landed in a pretty good spot. We were taking it um, so very seriously. Said, yeah, I know, I know. Uh, but also, you know, new Kanye album, like there's a place Kanye, for that. When he was still at the peak of his powers, really, like that was his last big, good album. A big deal. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so with all that being said, yes, 2020, still a good year for music, but also weird and different. Um, let's kick off this uh, top 10. My number 10, uh, this is actually an in-the-moment pick um, because I have two that are basically tied. I One of them I'm, is on I, my list, 10, so you can pick the number other. Number 10, I, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Grimes. Uh, misanthropocene um the other one i was going to pick was maybe charlie xcx with how i'm feeling now just just misses the cut um i have grimes at number 10 i think both of these albums though are sort of like future pop sounds um this might actually be my favorite grimes album yeah that's that's really interesting too so uh, it's going to be on my list too um okay it is it, this and Art Angels are are the ones that are up there for me. It's it, if it's not number one, it's number two, and I I really love Art Angels, so hard to say. But maybe well, with okay, we we can hit that when it's on your list. Uh, so I'm going with Grimes at number ten. Charlie just missed out in the, on the top ten. Okay, uh, my number ten is Jeff Parker, uh, Sweet for Max Brown. This was a kind of an, a, a, a new era kind of jazz album that came out real early in the year. I think it was like February, maybe March. Um, and it's just one I've kind of come back to yeah. time and time again. It, it has kind of a cool modern take on jazz um, in a way that I think 
few artists are able to kind of pull off. Um, it introduces some electronic elements that seem pretty seamless. It kind of, it, it's a kind of a perfect um, middle ground between like hip hop production and jazz and how those two things intersect. Um, and I've, I've really, really enjoyed it every time I've gone back to it. There's a number of songs from it that are on my best of the year list so far. So yeah, Jeff Parker, Sweet for Max Brown is my number 10. Nice. Yeah, that, that was a good one. I haven't returned since the beginning of the year, but I, I need to go back. Uh, my number nine, I have The Soft Pink Truth, which shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase. The Soft Pink Truth is uh, sort of the side project of Drew Daniel, um, who is part of, uh, I guess, the electronica duo Matmos. Um, but he put this out earlier this year. It's sort of an ambient album, uh, instrumental album. I have found that life has been very stressful. There's been a lot of um, things to look at on the internet and to think about and to worry about. Um, so during work hours, uh, it's actually been a lot harder to listen to all types of music. And I, more and more, I'd be getting to either just not listen to any music while I work or to put on something that is very easy to listen to or a little bit more relaxing. And this Soft Pink Truth album has really just scratched that itch. And it's been sort of a comfort and sort of a balm, Jake, uh, during these times where you, you maybe don't want to be listening to Lil Uzi Vert um, yelling about like pussy for 45 minutes. Um, right. And you'd rather just hear some more gentle stuff. So uh, yeah, the Soft Pink Truth has, has really been good for that. I totally agree for all the same reasons you said. And I was sad to leave that just off my top 10. That was basically my like 11. I, it, it just missed. Mm -hmm. It was kind of the Charlie XCX of your list. Um, yeah. <clears throat> my number nine is one we mentioned before. It's the um, Gia Margaret album named Mia Jargret or Mia Gargret. It's just kind of like a <laughs> flicking yeah. of her of the initials in her name. Um, this is also, like we said, a largely ambient album. The last track features her vocals. I assume they're hers. Um, and it, it's really beautifully made and really it's sort of delicate and like, I don't know something about the, the tones on the album. They're these kind of like lived in electronic tones that come, come in and out throughout the, 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 the album. Um, mm. And there's many moments that like, it, like we've talked about ambient al albums before. They're difficult to discuss on a podcast like this because they are, there's not lyrical moments to refer to. There's not a point of view to express. Mm -hmm. um, but there are like in every case, there's little moments you return to. And the one for me that really kills me is in the second track body there's this like sort of spoken word thing going on over the, the, the music. And it's, I think it's this guy, Alan Watts is what I was told by a friend. Um, and he, he was kind of like a psychedelics act, like evangelist in the sixties type of dude. Um, and he's, he's just, I don't even know the full extent of what he's saying, but it feels very fitting for the time and the way it fits with the music is perfect where he's like, talking about how our body sometimes we feel as though our body is dragging us down and where it's like our vessel and it's just like and he's mm. like the way he says like common speech says this all the time i life's a drag like he like he says <laughs> yes. i feel i'm just dragging myself around or whatever and it's like the way he's saying that stuff with the music kind of coming in under it and the different chord changes and stuff 
obviously none of what I'm saying can possibly come across through a podcast, but it's worth checking out. This is a really, really cool album. It is. That song is beautiful. It's haunting. There's many moments like that on the album. Um, you mentioned kind of that lived in feel of like synths or, or piano in the background. Some of it reminded me of uh, the year of hibernation by youth lagoon. Some of those sort of like mm, yes. fuzzy lo-fi uh, keyboard sounds. Totally agree. Um, so yeah, yeah there, there, there's a lot of feeling here. Um, and I, I do think it's difficult to discuss ambient albums. Um, but this one does have a lot of feeling. So definitely check it out and go feel it. Uh, my number eight, Jake, this harkens back to much, much earlier in the year, Pine Grove, Marigold. Um, this came out way back in January, which feels like a lifetime ago. Um, I actually haven't listened to this album in a little bit, but for the first couple months of the year, I did listen to this a lot. And I distinctly remember listening to it on my drive to work in the bitter cold. Um, and hearing a song like Dotted Line um, and hearing a song like Phase and, and kind of these songs uh, about maybe trying to bring back some, some normalcy or routine to a, a life that maybe had that disrupted from it. Um, and I appreciated that a lot at the time. And I, I think maybe this will be a helpful album in a, a year's time. Doesn't feel fitting to the moment anymore, but it did at the beginning of this year. And I, I really liked it a lot and I listened to it a lot. So it, it had to make it into my top 10, but doesn't feel of this year anymore. So um, this is on my list too, coming up in a little bit. Um, but it's so interesting how ancient a statement it sounds for you to be saying, I used to listen to this on my drive into work, into the office. Right. Yep. That's just of another era. And that's why, like, in some ways, it's almost silly to even do it by the year because it's like a new era started in March. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know. Like, Janu know. January and February were really just 2019. And, like, shit really yep. started um, in March. So that's, um, that, that's on my list in a little bit, too. So my number eight um, is the album we mentioned before, Run the Jewels, RTJ4. My one quibble with this, I have to say, is that the actual technical title of this album is RTJ4 instead of Run yeah. the Jewels 4, whereas all the other albums are the full name, one, two, three, or four. Mm. Whatever. That's just my literal OCD. This, my diagnosis. This is OCD. like, <laughs> that, true. This is like Led Zeppelin, uh, their fourth album, being Untitled. called zoso or untitled even though everyone just calls it led zeppelin four now yeah um and they switched up that format as well so maybe a little nod to to zeppelin it seems like bands always do this on the on the fourth album but 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 anyways i think this is on my list for all the reasons we mentioned before i think it's incredibly vampire weekend, vampire weekend right um they switched up their their uh their format that's right they did um so this album is on my list for all the reasons we mentioned before. I think it's incredibly pertinent um, and sort of fitting for the times we're in. I think that's why they released it a couple days early because a lot of the stuff they're talking about is pretty prescient in um, the mm. lyrical content related to police brutality yeah. and like, who do we all serve in this society? You know, who's mm -hmm. our quote unquote master or whatever in, in the society we live in, in the capitalist state that is America. Um, and, the so for me i think that 
I, I've, I've been a Run the Jewels fan since the second album. I never listened to the first one that much, but um, I think that two and this album now are my favorites that they've put out. I felt like three was good, but a little over long. It's up in the 50 minute range. This one's back down to a very manageable, like 30, I think it's 37 or 39 minutes, real listenable. Um, and uh, tons of good songs. Another Zach De La Rocha appearance, a nice uh, track with Mavis Staples, I believe, and Josh Homie yeah. from, uh, from Queens of the Stone Age. Um, they, they bring it every time, man. I, 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 if, if, you're in, if, if it's something you in, are into, the sound they make and the way that they do it, um, they have really never let down with an album. And I feel like this one is like, uh, dude, it, it's really interesting. It's being discussed by some people as just their best album, which I always felt like they would have. Honestly, I, I got to say, I have not resonated with, I've not had one resonate with me as much as this one. I, I think some of that has to do with the length. I'm not going to lie. The fact that this one is their shortest helps me because I yeah. think in the past I was like, okay, like this same sound gets tiresome. But on this album, it's like just enough. It's perfect. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I just think it's like they really know what they're doing at this point. It's the perfect sort of distillation yeah. of what Run the Jewels does well. So, yeah, that's my number eight. Yeah. Nice. Uh, my number seven is Perfume Genius, which set my heart on fire immediately. I know that this one's going to pop up a little bit later on your list, Jake. Yep. Uh, so I, we, we'll hold off on that one for now. Sure. That sounds good. Um, number seven for me was Pine Grove with Marigold. Don't have a lot more to say other than what you said, which is that it feels like yeah. ages ago that this came out. I really enjoy it. Um, haven't gone back to it in a while, but it, it's an excellent album. Yeah. Uh, my number six, uh, Half Wave uh, with The Caretaker. Speaking of Pine Grove, uh, she is a former Pine Grove member. This album came out kind of right just before, or actually, uh, this came out, I think, right around when everything with COVID was happening. Um, and this, to me, feels like one of the first kind of lockdown COVID albums. Um, there's certain lyrics on here that I think are always going to resonate with me, like on Blinking Light, there, there's this uh, kind of lyric about um, Give Me Till the End of June which everyone was sort of saying at the time with like, Oh, in, like we'll see where we're at in June. Um, so I, I don't know, like I, I got some Kate Bush vibes on this album. I, we, I don't think we talked about it that much on the podcast. Maybe we no. did, but more than almost any album from early in the year, I've come back to this one a lot. Like it was <laughs> a real comfort in, in March and April for me. And I guess maybe that's what I come back to a lot on this list is, um, these albums have provided comfort in different ways, I guess, throughout the first half of the year. Uh, I mentioned The Soft Pink Truth, obviously, and then Pine Grove was sort of like this early year, like, fantasy, basically. And then uh, Half Wave is kind of speaking to, started to speak to the, the moment we're in in 2020. Um, did you get a chance to listen to this one much? Uh, no, not much. I can't remember if I listened once because a lot of albums where I listened just one time, they kind of, I forget yeah. them. I probably did and I, I just didn't return to it, but I will based on this. I'll go back to it because um, I I've always liked her work. Yeah, it's very good. I, I, I do recommend it. What is your number six? 
Number six, I have um, Grimes with Misanthropocene, which you mentioned before. Um, it is, I think, a continuation of a period in her career, which I think has her best work, which is Art Angels up through this album. Obviously, Visions is her kind of breakout, and it has Genesis and Oblivion, which are a couple of her best songs, but I always felt that as an album, it didn't hold together as well. Um, I think this, against the odds, kind of, with the Elon Musk stuff and the kind of the, the poor, the, the lack of goodwill that was headed towards Grimes, this album yeah. delivered in a lot of ways. It has a bunch of my favorite songs of the year, including Violence on there, 4AM is up there. Um, I think it's You'll Miss Me When I'm Not Around, which is that kind of like almost guitar-based one. Um, uh, that one is a delete forever. Is yes, is sorry. The, um, yep. the yeah, like this acoustic ballad. That yes, that's what I'm thinking. Didn't of. even play guitar on it. Like that. That's just like a she did that on like a keyboard or or you know just oh, like a program or whatever. Interesting. Um, which is so which is very grind. I think you'll miss me when I'm not around. Is the best song on here and might be one of her best songs ever. Um, something she said in interviews when this came out, she's like, yeah, I think that's like maybe the best song on here or the best song I've done. I would agree with that. Hmm. Um, there, there's a lot of cool stuff on here. I mean, we appreciate power even Mm -hmm. Uh, a song that didn't make it on the official album is an incredibly strong bonus track here. Um, yeah, I don't know. I listened to this a lot when it came out and was pleasantly surprised, uh, you know, given all the questionable news stories we've seen uh with her and elon musk and she put out a great album i don't know what else to say yeah and their child with an unpronounceable name what is going on there what that baby i i don't know who knows um it's great baby will will be will be in space someday i guarantee it (laughs) absolutely we'll colonize a planet probably what do you have at number five Okay, we are getting into the top five here. Um, I mentioned Lil Uzi Vert earlier. Yes. Uh, he makes it into the top five here. Lil Damn. Uzi Vert, Eternal A Take. Uh, this album, I did not expect to like as much as I did. Um, it's very long. It is 25 songs. Or no, uh, the, sorry. He, <laughs> it's 18 tracks, um, but he put out a deluxe version that balloons this well past 30 songs um there is so much here but i i think what i come back to with lil uzi vert is he is taking a the genre of trap that i think has gone pretty stale actually it's a lot of the same stuff and combined it with this sort of goofy um future pop sort of lens and mashed them all together uh, and it's really fun. There's some songs that are misses here. There's some songs that are too crass. I will say that. Um, but it's a lot of fun. And there's a lot of catchy moments on here. I think the run from Celebration Station through Bust Me, those four tracks. And then at the end with P2, That Way, where he samples the Backstreet Boys. It just it's a, There's a lot of fun to be had on this album. Um, I loved it. It's one that I, I need to go back to to check out. Um, my number five is Jay Electronica with a written testimony. Um, I know we're hearing about this more on your list later, so let's just save it for them. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, my number four, Jeff Rosenstock, No Dream. Um, this came out, this is a surprise release, only a few weeks ago, actually, right when 
all the news about George Floyd and the protests was breaking. Um, it felt like, again, a very prescient album from Jeff Rosenstock. He has a knack for doing this. I think this trilogy of albums of worry, um, post blanking on the second one. Yes. Post. And finally, uh, no dream is going to be a really interesting time capsule of these last few years. Um, I felt really angry when all that news was breaking a few weeks ago and this album came out and and kind of spoke to that in, in a way I mentioned with some of these other albums that they were comforting. Um, this one comforted me in my anger. Uh, and I went back to it and continue to go back to it when I feel that way. Uh, so it's been a good outlet for, for some of those feelings. This is one that I had as an honorable mention because I still haven't listened enough and it mostly is nothing to do with not liking it because I really have liked it and I always like Jeff Rosenstock albums. It just has to do with uh, kind of what you were talking about before with the the way in which during these sort of difficult times, it's been nice to go back to either a comfort food listen or to yeah. something that's a little bit more ambient in nature. I just have not been able to get in the headspace very often where I can take the Jeff Rosenstock mm-hmm. experience. That being said, the times I've listened, I've enjoyed it a lot and I appreciate the amount of positivity he's getting about it. It seems like it's being really well received. Which yeah. is, it's nice to see. It, it does feel like to me that this is close to worry in terms of being like uh, quality wise. Um, I, I do like post a lot, but I, I think um, the uh, worry and no dream are a, a slight cut above uh, or maybe even more than slight, but yeah, if you're in the right headspace for this, it can be great. So um, my number four is Laura Marling with Song for Our Daughter. This is an album that, that really snuck up on me where I, I joked on the podcast where we first talked about Laura Marling that podcast brain got to me with her where I have this thing where <laughs> artists, I'll full on forget about artists that I've listened to, even with albums yep. I listened to a good amount. And in 2017, I listened to and liked a lot her album Semper Femina. I really did. I forgot about her as an artist. It just somehow slipped through the cracks in my brain. And when I saw that there was a new album coming out by Laura Marling, I was like, oh, like, I think maybe I've listened to an album of hers before. I had. I really liked it. I probably ranked it. Um, It's just one of those weird things where it's the number of albums I'm I'm trying to keep up with. Um, This one, I think, is is maybe my favorite album she's put out. Um, It's it's a songwriter album. It's like, it's a, it reminds Mm -hmm. me of kind of like a Paul Simon type of record or a Joni Mitchell type of thing, or um, it's just song after song of great lyrics, really nice melodies, excellent singing performances, nice, cleanly recorded instrumentals. Um, and I, yeah, I haven't gone back to it in a little bit, but when I had the, the dalliance that I had with this album, uh, it was, I was listening to it a ton. Songs like Strange Girl. Yeah. Um, the song song for our daughter the end of the affair is a really interesting song um about like the nature of monogamy and like having a relationship outside of that so um super interesting really great album i I couldn't recommend it enough actually yeah i i know what you mean with the podcast brain uh like i definitely mistaken like aldous harding for Laura Marling. Yes, me too. Or vice versa. Or like some they have a other, similar vibe. You know, folk artist. Yeah. Uh, this was an honorable mention for me. It, I, 
it almost made the top 10. I've really enjoyed this. I, I didn't love Semper Femina as much as you did, um, but this one has really spoken to me. I, you nailed it with it's a songwriter album. Um, yeah. I, I, I need to go back to this one more even, I think. Um, but I love that it got into your top 10. My number three, uh, Fiona Apple, Fetch the Bolt Cutters. And I know you have mm. this coming up, so we'll hit it in a second. Um, okay. But what is your number three? My number three is um, Andy Schaff with The Neon Skyline. This is an album that I listened to a ton earlier this year. It was like, a, I think, a January or a February release. January release. Um, and it's another songwriter album it's this he has this real idiosyncratic style of writing songs in terms of the way he crafts narrative into the lyrics of his songs and the way he writes melody and chord progressions is very specific in like his own style and i had i'd listened to his album the party before but never got way into him something about this album really clicked with me um it's, it's another one where it's just like, there's not a bad song on it. It's like, it's a real songwriters type of album. And, and, and something about that really was resonating with me. And also the very kind of human stories that he tells throughout the entire thing about like people at bars and like, remember having feeling nostalgia for when they were younger and like, they were actually liked doing this shit. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. that kind of vibe. Um, so really cool kind of like little underdog dark horse album that ended up like sneaking into my top three. The, and I the, honestly, the more yeah. I thought about it, the, it was easy that it was up there for me. So yeah, that's for, no, yeah. that's great. I, I like to see that. Uh, before we get to Fiona Apple, um, my number two, Jake, I had Waxahachie with St. Cloud. Um, this album got a lot of acclaim when it came out, which I was really happy to see. And I had never been the biggest Waxahachie fan. I had always liked her music, never loved it, never connected uh, in, in the most full way. But something about St. Cloud just feels so warm and inviting. And the songs are there. Uh, there's this kind of alt country kind of twinge to it um, that her other stuff maybe didn't have as much of. Um, this came out at the end of March, uh, just as we were kind of getting into like true, true lockdown and realizing that this was going to be uh, our reality for a while. And, and I can't help but look at almost all of these albums through that lens now and kind of like where I was at in the year. Um, and this one is very much like settling into home life, like a new type of home life. Um, but maybe focusing more on like the positive aspects of that. There's a warmth to this album that I associate with being outside, like on my, my back patio. Um, Living like a human. I, I think exactly. And it's interesting. I think it's very telling that this came out at the beginning of, of lockdown or, or quarantine um, because maybe, maybe I don't even feel the same way about that anymore, but I listened to it a ton in that time. And it's probably, it's one of my most listened to albums of the year and a song like Lilacs and Witches. I've listened to a ton as well. I feel like I can put those songs on whenever and just be like, yeah, like this is, this is what I want to be hearing right now. This is an album for me that I think was a little bit like the way you described your relationship with the Laura Marling album, where it's in my honorable mentions because I, I sort of acknowledge it as really good. I remember really enjoying it. It just never made its way into my rotation in any real way. So I don't have a real strong 
bond with it. Yeah. As much as I did like it. It's funny because they're both very much songwriter albums. I think they're just on slightly different spectrums of that. Um, Like Laura Marling definitely feels a little more artful and creative where I think this Waxahachie record is much more like soulful or warm or like it's got this rock element to it. Yeah, it's a little more um, straight ahead. Kind of, yeah, it's more straight ahead and like a little more earnest, maybe. Um, every year, though, there, there, there's one or two rock albums that just fit that bill of being like a little bit more straightforward, earnest. And this one's doing it for me. Yeah. Um, is it time for my number two? Number two. Okay, so my number two is what I expected to be my number one, and we'll get to why my number one ended up upsetting it later. My number two is Fiona Apple, Fetch the Bolt Cutters, which you mentioned before, Sean. Uh, I think yeah, in many ways, my number three. This, this is like the album of the year in some grand consensus way. You know what I mean? Exactly. This, this is the best album of the year, but it is not my favorite album of the year. Yeah, it's totally fair. And I think that's sort of where I'm at with it as well, where, I mean, and it, it almost was number one, but I think that with the half year list, sometimes it's fun to take little risks and stuff and like try exactly. to- Exactly. I feel like I did that on mine. With yeah. the rankings. But anyways, we, I actually think we articulated our opinions about this album pretty perfectly in the podcast yeah. we did about it. Like where we went on at, at length, at great length about- We don't, Yeah. We don't need to rehash here. We will not do it justice. I think we kind of nailed it with that episode. We did, but suffice it to say, it is like it is as described and as advertised, like a perfect album, a real innovation mm-hmm. in its sound, lyrically incredible, and just filled with moments that like literally are incredible. Like she's she's a, a phenom level musician and an auteur of 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 musicianship and stuff. Couldn't have said it better. I ended up putting her at three uh, because I, you're absolutely right. It's a little fun to, to like mess with things with the mid-year rankings. This could very well end up as my number one by the end of the year. I would not be surprised if it That's how was. I felt too. Um, yeah, So, but it's at number three right now. I wanted to highlight a couple other ones. And that brings me to my number one, Jake, before you get to yours. J Electronica, A Written Testimony. Um, this to me i put it number one right now i think because of the way this year has gone um i think the two opening tracks here with the overwhelming event into ghost of soldier slim um kind of uh man i forget who who does he have doing the voiceover at the beginning of oh man of this album i don't think i ever knew the name of who that guy was i maybe i don't either but it's this recording of of a guy, and I, I'm trying to find it right now. Um, God, I, I'm not. I'm not going to. But that's okay. This made my the, list the, at number five, the, by the way. We mentioned it before. Yeah. The the way it crashes in, and the way that beat drops. You have Jay Z on it. I, I just, I don't know. I, I've gone back to this album a lot, and I I haven't gotten sick of it. I, I think a, a song like Universal Soldier. Uh, Flex Capacitor. Those are some of the best songs of the year. Yeah. Um, I, I think the the vocal sample of Rihanna on Flex Capacitor is amazing. It harkens back to like 
the peak of Kanye and what he could do with assembling sounds in a song. I got that vibe from this album. Um, and it was an exciting feeling that I haven't had maybe since some of those Kanye albums. And I think Jay-Z being on it lended it a lot of gravitas. And Jay-Z has never sounded better to me. Yeah, uh, I, I, again, I totally I agree. We, we talked about this album earlier in the year, so I won't step on too much of that. But it's stuck around for me. And, and it's been one that I've wanted to go back to. And I think weirdly speaks to this year in an indirect way. This album captured for me... Um, what is one of my favorite feelings in music? It's one we've talked about over and over again, which is this sense of sort of the feeling of listening to music being augmented by a certain sense of mystery about it. I knew nothing about Jay Electronica really, except that I'd heard his name. I didn't know who was featured on it. All I knew was that the album cover was cool, that you had mentioned that this was a really good album and that when I first put it on and listened to it the first time through, it sounded exactly like I hoped it would sound. It somehow sounded exactly like what I thought the album was going to be. And something about all of that coming together and the kind of mysterious vibe of some of the production on songs like The Never Ending Story or The Overwhelming Events, yep. some of the songs you've mentioned. Um, and the, kind of, the, the little bit like lo-fi, slightly kind of like laid back kind of beats that are on the album yep. really resonated yeah. with me really especially towards the back fit a mood especially yeah towards the back half like i think the last two tracks ezekiel's wheel and apidta um really kind of close out the album in this contemplative thoughtful way uh that you maybe wouldn't expect when this album starts out well it feels like at its and core it's only, it's only 39 minutes there's a lot packed in here for a 39 minute album it's incredibly listenable and, it, and, it, and digestible in its like size and length. Yeah. Um, and it feels like it is sort of at its core, like it's a, it's a thoughtful album. It's a kind of abstract, I feel like the album cover does it a lot of justice. It, that feels like the kind of album it is. Um, yeah. So bad radio describing a visual, but. But, you know, the point remains. You know, it's neat. It's needed. I, I love that little voiceover towards the end when he's talking about like making this album. Um, right, right, right. What is your number one, Jake? So my number one ended up being um, the Perfume Genius album, Set My Heart on Fire Immediately. Um, I was surprised when I saw this. I, 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 I know you, we both love this album, but I was surprised to see it at number one. I was, a little, so. I was a little surprised when I did it too. Um, and then like wasn't actually like the more i thought about it i just had this thought process of like ah, i should put it at two fiona should be number one and the moment i told myself should i realized that's uh, where i know this has to be number one wow. because i'm doing... you know yourself better than even you know yourself right i was like the fact that i'm saying this like i'm making decisions based on should or what the outside you know like the perception or consensus would be i was like the reality is this is the album i've enjoyed the most it yeah. I, I keep going back to it since it's come out. This is, came out pretty recently. Like, I think it's only a few weeks old at this point that it came out, right? Yeah. Or yeah. a month, maybe? Um, maybe a month ago. Yeah, uh, actually, yeah, middle of May. Yeah, it's been a month. May 15th, it's a month. so it's been a month. So we talked about when this was coming out, how no Perfume Genius album, the experience of every Perfume Genius album we had was that we always loved the first listener to thought this is going to be one of the best of the year and then somehow or other lost interest as the year went on and i thought for sure that would be the case with this one 
and somehow or other it just wasn't there's something about the consistency of the album um the really interesting production and the way it is made Mm -hmm. songs like uh describe with that really overdriven guitar yeah and like the constant ways in which he's like uh on whole life those those like big orchestral swells and the key changes at the end songs like jason and um Mm without you or on the floor are just excellent without you and on the floor. I think it's on the floor. I'm thinking of are like really danceable and catchy. Yeah. I didn't expect. And at first didn't like, at first I was like, Ooh, I don't know about these. There's some of my favorite songs on the album now. Uh, I think Jason is a total highlight. Um, I think what has happened is that all of the things I always kind of thought about perfume genius or liked all those kind of promises were kind of cashed with this album, in my opinion like what I always kind of mm-hmm. hoped an album of his would be like, this captures it. And I yeah. think just the, go ahead. I, I think this album is very well sequenced. Um, I, I, I think the order of the tracks is pretty perfect. And the momentum of the album, it, it, you brought on a journey with it the whole time. It's high when it needs to be, it's low when it needs to be. Um, and that I think is maybe something that we were missing with some of those past perfume genius albums. I, I felt like they were either very uh, top heavy or they weren't sequenced in a way that, that made it as listenable. This one really is. That's what I kind of keep coming back to. And, and that's the thing I've wanted to keep coming back to it as well. I, I think with some of those other ones, I felt like, Oh, maybe I should listen to this more. That's There's that word again. Should hear. Exactly. Exactly. These guys go to therapy. Um, there's no shoot here, you know, and I think that's, that's really important with this album or with the whole experience. And that's, that's the entire thing. It's just the more I thought about it, when I looked at this list of albums and it could be recency bias because it is one of the more recent ones I've been listening to. But, um, I, as I look at this list, I can't think of another one that I have more just genuinely enjoyed and wanted to go back to have felt that kind of magnetic pull to like, yep, I want to play that again. I want that on right now. And it's a pretty yeah. long album, yep. and there have been times where I've played it right back to back, and that never happens. Yeah. It's not really a thing I do. Yeah. So that's amazing. So that's it. That's um, my number one. Couple honorable mentions for me. I, I did mention uh, I had Laura Marling on mine, um, but I also wanted to shout out Charlie XCX that could have made it into the top 10. It still might by the end of the year. Who knows? Uh, Gray by Moses Sumney. That's one that I definitely need more listens on, but was incredibly impressed with. I just haven't listened enough. Uh, the Strokes with the new album, Normal, I know that's on your honorable mentions too. Um, way, their, their best work since maybe Room on Fire. Um, I also have Dogleg with Melee. I feel like they were robbed of a moment um, <laughs> with that album. Yeah. For, for people who are maybe a little younger than us. Like the people who were the age we were at and younger when modern baseball was big uh, four years ago. You know, yeah. like... I think they could have captured that this spring and summer, but the fact that they don't get to go play that album live is a huge bummer. Uh, it's really, really good. Um, I also really like Destroyer with Have We Met. Um, Car Seat Headrest, Making a Door Less Open, and the Jason Isbell album, uh, Reunions. Those were all very good. Just missed the top 10. Yep, you mentioned all the ones that I had, so... Um... I, I think nice. the, the one honorable mention that is possibly most surprising is that Car Seat Headrest album, which for me is like a legitimate 12th hey or a legitimate 13th. I like it. Me too. Yeah, Me too. absolutely it is. 
I think it's really Absolutely good. It There's a clunker on there, but other than that, I like the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. That's going to age well, I think, that yep. album. Um, we're going to be at the forefront of that. Let's wrap Vanguard. up, Jake, with Release Radar. Here's three interesting ones for you. Number one, Phoebe Bridgers, the new album, Punisher. Can't out wait. this Friday. Probably one of the most anticipated of the year for indie artists. I would say. Yeah, I'm super excited. Uh, I've been hearing good things about it. Bob Dylan is coming out with a new album of original material called Rough and Rowdy. Uh, it's his first since Tempest, which I believe came out in oof, 2012? 2012. Something like that. Hey, Jinx. Uh, I'm also hearing good things about Rough and Rowdy. This is supposed to be good. I want, Do you think it's a concept album about the Barstool Sports um, like... <laughs> <laughs> like MMA style fighting thing that they do or boxing, whatever it is, the rough and rowdy. Um, I think it is. I would be willing to bet my life on it. That would be pretty interesting if he had like a 17 minute song about like <laughs> big cat <Portnoy>. and PFT <laughs> and like Caleb Pres <laughs> Presley and all those dudes. The ballad of uh, big cat. Uh, and then the final one, Jake, Neil Young is releasing his long-lost 1975 album, Homegrown. Okay. Uh, apparently, this was shelved in 1975 because it was too personal, but is finally seeing release in the light of day now. Um, this is right in that kind of post-on-the-beach, tonight's-the-night era of Neil Young, uh, that mid-70s era that That's we love. I'm going to check this out. I think this could be really good. And now, I, interesting, like, point of semantics. Is this a new album? Do we count this as a 2019, 2020 album? I, I, I think we count it as a 2020, even though that's when it's getting released officially. Uh, yeah, no one's heard it before then. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. It's not a reissue. Dude, okay. Imagine if this ends up being good. Listen to the run that he would have had from 69 to 75. Everybody knows this is nowhere. After the Gold Rush, Harvest, the live album Time Fades Away, which is underrated and very good. On the Beach, Tonight's the Night, this one, which uh, Homegrown. And then I want to say he had one other one in there. Rust Never Sleeps? Like a, Rust Never Sleeps was 79. Um, oh, oh, like maybe Hitchhiker? Hitchhiker? He released that recently, but there's that other one that's like Zona or something, or so it, it like has like kind of a short name. I can't remember what it is, but it's considered pretty good too. Um, yeah, there's another one in there, I think. What a run he had in those unbelievable. Years. Um, but yeah, so I'm gonna check that one out too. But yeah, we got a, a good lineup for this Friday. Yeah, this is gonna be very interesting. All right, man. Yes, well, this was good. Uh, hang in there. Stay healthy. Uh, and thanks for listening, everybody. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Okay. We're recording. We're on. Um, I mean, so we've been using the after show pre-show to kind of be a, 
a, a Jake and Sean State of the Union. Yeah, um, to commiserate. For, for a while since we started, and this year has just been one thing after the other of pre-show just being like, what the fuck? Um, this one is no exception. It's been almost a month since our last episode. Um, and in that month, there has been the killing of George Floyd, the killing of Breonna Taylor, honestly, the killing of like too many people to even like count. There was um, the, the guy whose name I'm forgetting who was killed at a Wendy's. Ahmaud Arbery, right? Well, no, that's a different guy even. This is a guy who it's like, it, I'm not going to try to, I'm not going to butcher his name in, in search of it, but um, he was killed in or near Atlanta at a Wendy's. He was drunk behind the wheel. Ooh, and he, oh like, my he, God, yes. And then, yes, yes. Uh, and then these other guys who have been, maybe been lynched in like California. Yeah, and, and you see people other who, place, like, what the fuck? And you see the people who have been involved in the protests in one way or another who have like shown up dead. Like, yep. It's, yep. it's dark times. And we've said over and over and over again throughout the course of this year uh, how it seems like 2020 can't possibly sort of get worse or get crazier. Um, yep. It's the craziest year of our lifetime. It um, by far, by like a mile. Yep. Um, and I was saying that two months ago. I, yes, we were. And I, I actually feel like, I remember last year saying the same shit, being like, well, man, like shit's weird. The, everything before this is child's play compared to what is happening right now. Um, I've seen a lot of people compare it to 1968. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of parallels there. I think, I mean, I'm biased because I'm alive in 2020. This seems like it's on another level. I, I I saw a tweet and it was something along the lines of like, in 1968, you at least like knew like things were going to be relatively the same, even though like they're protesting the Vietnam War, MLK is assassinated. Like these systems that we trusted and knew were still going to be there. And like, that there there was like a security in that and a foundation in that that felt like it could it, it couldn't be changed whereas 2020 i don't know what's going to happen tomorrow i don't try like i don't i don't trust anything to stay the same right now literally like yeah i agree and i've been having conversations with like my with people in my family like my grandmother was born in 1929 the year the stock market crashed before the great depression so she's yeah. seen a lot my my mom was born in 63 my uncle in 68 so like I, i've been talking with some of them and like i tried to say like what's the craziest year in your lifetime or what do you think is the craziest year in the last century and i think the ones that kind of come up time and time again are like probably 45 a world war yeah is raging and then ends with the dropping of atomic bombs and yeah, then all of that, Europe has that, to begin that literally change the world. Yeah. has to begin reconstruction of a kind. Um, 68 seems to be up there pretty good. And, and like, obviously I, I got to give you credit here because I want to say that near the end of 2019, we were talking about new year stuff, whatever. I think even on the podcast, maybe. Yeah. And I think you said something about like, I think 2020 is just going to be worse. Um, and it, and I, I think I didn't quite see it the same way, but I see why you would say that now, because it does feel like, like the 60s, which crested towards 68 and 69, um, 
that's, I think, what the end of the 2010s ended up being. And that 2020 is this sort of culmination. And who knows if it could get worse in 2021. Obviously, even the idea of measuring it by specific years is kind of a construct because it's none, none of it begins or yeah. ends this year. But um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I, I think it's up there, man. I think it's in the, it's got to it be top is. five strangest years or most yeah. tumultuous, historically radical years in the in a century has to be i i think it is um yeah i i do remember saying that at the end of 2019 and i think 2019 wasn't great either for a lot of this stuff no like it it felt like 2018 remember what was the year where like all the people died where like all the celebrities i think that was 2016 i think you're right and the, right. because that's where it became kind of a meme of like 2016. Yeah, that's right. And it's like 2020 so is I that on fucking anabolic steroids. I, dude. I am. You can, you can feel the historical narrative crystallizing right now yeah. with 2016, 17, 18, 19, 20 being these tumultuous, crazy years that end the 2010s. Um, paralleled by the Trump presidency and, and that contributing to a lot of that chaos and the Sandy Alex G era also aligning with that. Oh, right. <laughs> and I wanted to bring that up as a news item, but also I think like it's been simmering for the last few years and it's finally 2020 has like turned into a boil of all of this stuff kind of like coming to a head. And I do think 2020 feels like the end of the 2010s, maybe in a more culmination than the beginning of something new hopefully hopefully this is not a bellwether for what the, the rest of this decade might be but who knows man like you really don't know what's going to happen one day to the next no you don't it, I, I was just thinking like and perhaps this is too this might be too cynical even of a way to look at it but it'd be interesting to see a ranked list of a hundred years from least tumultuous to most yes i yes. honestly think that the years that the year we were born, 1992, would be in like the bottom five. I, I, I think you're right. I think there might even be multiple years from the 90s that would be in the bottom 10% of that list. Yeah, and I, I can't think of another, I mean, pro, maybe like late 50s, maybe. Although there's a lot of racial yeah. segregation stuff going on then. In Korea is thrown in there as well. True. Um, I mean, really every era is crazy in one way or another for some group of people. That, yeah, yeah. I mean, no small part of why this feels bigger and crazier and more like part of everyday life is the internet and social media yep. True. and 24-hour news and the way our culture is now. Like, this, this wasn't part of your daily waking life you weren't having images of protests and killings and crazy quotes from the president and actions and things like constantly beamed into your brain any second of the day you want like from a device in your hand that's another reason why it all feels so much bigger and and harder yeah on top of it actually being pretty fucking nuts like Yes, exactly. It just, yeah. it, it magnifies it. Uh, and on top of that, Sean, COVID, it's still going on. And I saw this, this graph yeah. 
um, from from the from the Times, Sean. I'm a Times reader, a New York Times reader. I don't know if you if you dude, knew. Dude, I finally subscribed. That's, Hell yeah, that's my big news. Did you get I the four dollar? Did you get the deal? Dude, I got the two dollar a, a week uh, deal, or like four dollars a month or something. That's yeah. what I got. That's exactly the same that's thing. That's what I got for a year. And basically, when I sign up for a long term subscription, this happened with when I signed up for Comcast as well. When they give you that introductory rate, you're like, oh, I'll have this forever. Mm-hmm. Like this expires in a year. Like that'll never come. When it finally does and you start paying more, like this just happened on my internet, it fucking sucks. It does. And I am just going through something with Comcast myself. We are very close to making the decision to just finally cancel a lot of the stuff we get through Comcast, like cable yeah. and all that shit. Like the like TV. Because like, it's yeah, just like, dude, what are we getting out of it? It's it. It's a I joke. Know. It's so expensive. Like, the and the best reason to have it is live sports, and those aren't happening. <laughs> like, yeah, we got a call from a Comcast lady the other day who was trying to upsell us a little bit, and like, I actually ended up changing a part of our deal. But like, the, um, she, I brought up to her, I was like, look, I know this isn't your fault, and I know Comcast is a monopoly, and that you're not to be blamed for that. But like, the fact that my bill goes up every other month is a is a yeah. joke. I mean, that's a little perturbing. It, it is. It's like, come yeah. on. And she she tried to give me some like kind of like half ass like oh well sir like you know some of the she's very polite she's just doing a shitty job like yeah and I don't blame her but like come on Comcast is a shit company like and that's that's kind of what kills me too is like she won't just level with you either yeah true it's like how how much is your soul crushed that you won't just be like, I know, man. Like, dude, they they record like, their calls. They record their that's calls. That's true. Oh my God. That's so fucked up. She, yeah. she can't show an ounce of, of brand disloyalty. She can't, or she'd lose her job, but she, she needs a job. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm like, this is not your fault. I'm like, Comcast sucks. And like, my bill goes up every other month. It does. It, it always, it just, they, they just do it to everybody. It's crazy. It steadily increases over time. I know. Um, I know, but what I saw in the graph, Sean, from the Times, big Times reader, yeah, is um, that <laughs> yes. in countries around the world there was a spike and it has steadily gone down. In the U.S., there yes. was a spike and it went down a little and then just plateaued, and it has continued yes. to plateau. We're yes. just—I saw that same graph. Um, that is so fucked that we are like hundreds of people are still dying every day, and. We've sort of just chosen to ignore this fact. Dude, you would, if you look around downtown Portsmouth right now, you wouldn't know there's a fucking pandemic. Well, you would because people are wearing masks. The bars, the restaurants, if there's outdoor seating there and they're open, it's fucking packed. Dude, I walked by a line for one of the, like, the restaurants right on the water, like those, that, that deck area. They were saying, they're like, yeah, it's like a two-hour wait right now. Like That's how busy they were. So a lot of people i'm good seems like it's it's split it, like I, I have been playing it pretty safe here and there you know i've gotten together with like family or friends that like i know are also good and i Same aren't here. like going out and doing crazy stuff um i'm not going to restaurants i am i'm getting takeout now like that's what i've advanced to Same here. but i'm always wearing a mask i'm always washing my hands as soon as i get home um I still very much feel like I'm on lockdown, like in a lot of ways. It's not as much as it was March, April, or even May, but it still definitely feels like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm at home. Like, that's what I'm doing. Totally. And, and um, yeah, I've done all the same stuff. It's like I'll have, like, 
you know, I'll have like a friend over, like yeah, like Kevin. He lives up the street. He'll come up. We'll have fucking yeah. like pizza or something. You know what I mean? Like people. Right. I'll go. We we. My brother's birthday was last week, and we went to my mom's, and we all like we brought takeout, and we had dinner yeah. together. Like yeah. Past a certain point, you, you, you're not going to be perfect. Like, if you are perfect, no. um, you might be kind of <laughs> giving up a little bit of your life to be that's perfect. It, and that's the thing. I think everyone is sort of deciding where the point of diminishing returns for them starts. And I think, honestly, maybe people who are like us, who are more introverted, who are pretty okay with spending time alone at home or just with, like, you know, our significant others at home and doing quiet activities. Like I I can, I can do that forever, honestly, like without a big drop off in quality of life. That's not the case for other people. Um, But I think everyone is kind of deciding where, where their point of diminishing returns starts. And for some that is sooner than others is what I'm trying to say. I would tell you what, though, this has put even more into perspective how much I am over fucking bars, dude. Oh, dude. I don't know when I'll go back to one. Like, I, I'm over that. I, I, I stopped liking going out to bars two years ago. And, like, yeah. just not having to do it has been yeah. honestly awesome. For If you just don't like that whole scene, having yeah. just you have a total excuse – for a while it's they're literally not open and i don't wish any business to right. lose business like that's not what i'm saying i just mean right. that like as a as an introvert who hates social interaction and can't help but meta analyze everything i'm saying and other people are saying at all times i don't like going to bars it's not fun for me mm-hmm. to do that you're too loud and no i i think that just kind of happens especially as you get older i think you realize like wait i don't want to spend my time and in, in money here um they can't my my thing is they can be fun in the right situation with the right person at the right time but it's very hard to align all of those things um so i'm like a once in a while like i'll really enjoy it guy but depends on the type of know, bar I, too i haven't missed it yes the type as well um yes I, I really haven't missed it. Um, there's, you know, there's obviously restaurants I miss going to, but yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, I don't mind being locked down. It's, it's more like, I don't know, the fact that you could get sick or like, I, I don't know. Just, there, like we said, there's a lot going on, a lot to think about. Yeah. Weird times, crazy times. I hope we get yeah. through it. And I don't know, man, we'll see where we're at when, the new year rolls around, which is like, Jesus. I mean, dude, we're almost halfway through. We're, we're just about halfway through the year already. Um, um, it, yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of can't you. believe. I got something for you. Yeah. Um, okay. The calendar you got me for Christmas 2018, the 2019 Beatles calendar, I just have yeah. not taken it down. I have not changed it. I have, and, and so at first it was laziness. It happened all through... January I was like I'm like I'm gonna get one eventually and I just forgot and then it got to be March and I was like well you know what like I'm maybe I'll just take it down at some point I forgot to to, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna find a calendar I just won't have a calendar this year and then I was like you know what I was like 2020's nuts and in this small symbolic way seeing December 2019 up on my wall is this little like 
it's this little rebellion against 2020 that I like have. You and know, picture of the Beatles that I like I, most I, of all of them. I like that a lot. And in a lot of ways, it feels like 2020 is like this pause on other parts of life. On time. Um, so that's an interesting, that's interesting. I like that. Yeah. I, I think you should leave it that way. I'm going to leave um, it this way all year. Things, yeah. I, I have I, like, I like finally decided, because like it's June. I'm not, what's the point? It's going to seem weirder in August? No, it's already weird. So like, yes. I just like the idea that I, there's I like, like that. a little middle, middle finger finger to this yeah. time. Middle finger to the law. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I like it. And, and yes, middle finger to the law. But final note, fuck, fuck these cops who are like crying at McDonald's because like their food took too long or saying that they were poisoned at Shake Shack because their belly hurt after. I didn't like, even... Dude, you're probably lactose intolerant. I, there's all these stories where cops are like, I feel like I'm being persecuted now. It's like, good. Like, you're, I don't know, fucking quit if you, if you don't want to feel that way. I don't know. Like, <laughs> you're not owed anything. So there's all these, like, stories of them being, like, having their food messed with at places. Um, but, like, none of them are real. Like, they're, like, the cops think people did something, but they actually didn't. Yeah, I mean, and, like, in some ways, psychologically, I actually understand that. Because if, like, I were a police officer yeah. right now, I would probably think the same thing. But, like... I saw that one guy, the like the one of the union reps or whatever. It, it was some speech. It's gone yeah. kind of viral in New York, where the guy's like, "Stop yeah. treating us like animals. Stop, start treating us with some respect." And it's like, dude, you've been treated dude. an illegitimate amount of respect for too long. And the, the whole point yeah. is the system's out of control. Right. I saw that video with every time he's like, and they call us thugs. And like call us, they're treating us like animals. Every time it, it was just like a quick cut with like police brutality from the last week of them like beating people and right. like doing all this horrible shit. And it's just like, yeah, like the shoes on the other foot now, like just a tiny fraction of what it is. And you guys can't handle it. Right. For, for two weeks, three weeks now, people have been criticizing yeah. police. In, They've in, been licking your boots and you're like, oh my God, like seriously did you see i mean even i feel i i drive by dude i drive by cops out here where it's like these are probably the last cops anyone has to worry about like these yeah. coastal new england town cops well who knows actually maybe yeah who maybe knows not. but even i see them i'm like i don't trust you fucking guys yeah and they it's... have this air about them like they they, they give you like they, they, they like look you up and down and they'll and they like puff their chest out it's like dude i'm i'm just going for a walk like chill yeah well because like they for years and years like as on a systemic level it's not been held accountable and people who you know have a power trip and who want to uh you know make themselves feel you know make themselves feel powerful or make themselves feel important gravitate towards that job um and again it's not in all cases i resist some of that rhetoric about it being you know every cop or anything like that i personally don't believe that because i think some people play the Hand their oh, dumb sorry, life. I didn't know you were uh, <laughs> Mitch McConnell on the other end here. Oh, sorry, I, I didn't know we had a White Lives Matter advocate. <laughs> no, you know what I'm saying. You know what I mean. There's people who I do, I do. They take a job that I they agree think. With you. There's some people who who get into it because it, maybe it's the best option available to them. Maybe they believed the story people are told about what police officers are. Of course. Of course, and that's what I think 
we mean when we talk about systemic, like the way, yeah. and this is why I think the, the abolish the police thing is um, a legitimate thing to ask for. Um, yeah. I think it's being contorted and twisted by the right, but well, because it's a, it's, um, a... It, it's because the system clearly doesn't work to your point. It's out of control. Um, and and I, there's, I've seen plenty of stories in the times itself of um, a black NYPD uh officer who was like i was trying to institute change from the inside and you know i i feel i feel you guys like i'm with you i'm with the black lives matter movement um and that's good it's and, not and, a black and white thing though like when people say like oh it's every single cop it's like no there, there's you know there's some good people <laughs> good good people as, as trump would say yes uh, these are very good people these are very good people but like on both sides not well, on both sides and what's tough is that you, what I think so many people who are police officers or who are family members of police officers who get defensive and they put their thin blue line sticker up and do that is like, yeah. they don't realize that yeah. if, if you took a minute to exercise a little bit of reflection and, and acknowledge that there are problems with the system and use empathy with people and say, you're right, this is wrong and yes. we have to change. But instead it's always... Yep they kick back their heels and they get defensive. It, it's a, it's a very human reaction is when someone comes at you and you feel personally attacked to be defensive like that. It's hard to then shift from defensive to like opening yourself up and being empathetic. That's a really hard thing to do. I'm not surprised a lot of these people can't do it, but like, that's what kind of all of this is, uh, is about is like, don't take it personally. Like, these systems need to change. Like you can be an, a good individual. I get that. Understand it's not just about you and your experience. Exactly. That, as Ex long as people can do that, like that's, that's where we need to get to. But there's the problem. Therein lies the problem. Not enough people can do it. And, and I think police yeah. need to be better trained. Either their job has to change. What the nature of their job is has to change. Yeah. If what, what they are tasked with is really mostly violent crimes and situations yeah. where people's lives are at risk, then sure. Now I want a guy with a gun to come enforce shit. Yeah. But sure. you know, if it's if it's a homeless person on the street, or if it's someone who's driving drunk, or if it's someone doing X, Y, and Z, where it's not really a violent crime or whatever, it's like I, I don't know how much yeah. we need an armed officer going there. And like I someone I, I follow I on Twitter, agree. somebody I follow on Twitter was like made some comment about defund the police or whatever. And 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 he was like, Yeah, I got like someone commented back with in a dm it was like you soy boy like cuck like you oh like you, you like what did he what did he say it was like what if what good have you ever done for the world like in, and you're criticizing people who are trying to make an actual difference and the thought i have was like you're making the point for him like if you like yeah. argument of like if your argument is like police aggression and brutality is not a problem, the way to prove that is not to be like, I'm going to fucking go yell at people and, and, and yes. insult strangers on social media. That's a, that's a great point. And I think in a lot of the um, police reaction stories we've seen, we realize that as soon as they feel like they are, are challenged at all, they lash out with violence and aggression. Yeah. Every story, one after another, we've seen like, oh, so maybe these are the people who, who are the issue. Um, exactly. So, yeah, I, I'm with you, man. Like, and and so, sometimes the response is, is 
people just need to respect authority more. And it's like, look, dude, authority is given to you by a social contract. Authority is given to you insofar as it benefits the citizenry. You are not here as the fucking boss of the world. You are here to keep us safe in a way that we all agree upon because we're a society. I think there's been a big light shown on the fact that cops really don't protect us at all. Like they, they, I, I've seen plenty of stories about police unions who, as soon as their authority was challenged by the cities that they policed, they would stop responding to 911 calls from certain area codes or for, from certain sections of the city because they're like, oh, th- those are that person's supporters. We're not going to do it's Trump shit, dude. It's like, yeah, it is gooniism and cronyism. Um, yeah. and like that, I don't know. It's they don't really protect anyone. And I think your point about do we really need an armed person like in all these instances? No, we don't. We we should get like specifically trained professionals that deal with like lost children or like you said, drunk driving or like all these different things. Like there should be specific like traffic cops and there should be specific like, yeah, those are all different jobs. Why are we lumping that all together as one thing? Well, and to explore it from the police officer's perspective, it's like, if you're a cop, you're being asked, and I've heard this repeated a bunch of times, you're being asked to do like 12 different jobs. That, exactly. Maybe you're good at two of them. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if I were a police officer, I'd be pretty bad in violent situations. I'd be pretty bad yes. in, with conflict. I think I'd be solid at like helping to defuse things. I think I'd be solid from that perspective. You, you would be great. Uh, on like the personal level like when you show up and you're like hey like you would be great at that people like us would be better at that i actually had that thought i was like whoa why why do so many cops like not just defuse situations when they get there why do they escalate it and then i was like oh because they literally can't and like they don't know any other way yeah and like they're not gonna try and level with the person and see them as human they don't see other people as human in a lot of cases that's the problem I saw a great tweet the other day where it was like, someone was like this kid I knew in high school used to smash his head against the locker over and over whenever his sports team would lose. Like, and like he was really disturbed and like, it was clearly a problem. And luckily that friend went and they got help and just kidding. They became a cop and are still a cop. (laughs) And they're a big, and they're they're a big Trump. Supporter, a big Trump supporter said. too, <laughs> yes. and he loves Trump. Yeah, a great example of this is like, uh, we have a friend. I'll leave the friend out. We can t- if you don't know who it is, I can. Yeah. I'll just you might be able to guess based on context. Maybe I won't say the name, but we had a friend who like went out to try out to be a cop in a local town here, like when they were between jobs, and um, oh. went and did like the interviews and stuff. And never got past the round of interviews. And this is a person who is highly empathetic, has a lot of critical thinking, is, you know, um, you know, a thinker and like cares about people and is friendly and like just didn't get past it. And there's that warrior mentality that goes into some of the policing that has, it has literally seeped into it. There's this one guy, I can't remember his name, but he teaches seminars to police as if they're warriors, as if they're fighting a war. And it's like, that cannot be the mentality. It, 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 uh-huh. In the case of like, and, and here's another great thing I heard. Now I'm fucking rolling on this stuff. Is yeah. you might have heard this too on Simmons. The guy said, "What in what case would you be okay with 
a police officer taking a loved one's life. So what would your, like if you, what would your sister or your dad have to do where you find out cops killed him and you're cool with that? You're like, you know what? That was the, the right decision. Yeah. And it's like, honestly, it's like active shooting. Like, you're or like you're running you're causing mayhem or you're you're you've yeah. killed and you're gonna kill again like that's it right right i know that's it i know that that is a great point that is a very great point let's leave it there this is clearly this is obviously an ongoing conversation that everyone's having i love i love this thing on social media where it's like i am I'm, I'm doing the reading i'm i'm educating myself i'm yeah. I'm, I'm having i'm reaching out and having conversations like, i'm doing a lot of listening and, I'm doing a lot of listening. Yeah. Like in those are kinds of like tropes at this point or, or, or cliches, but I think it's true. I, I think the more you can educate and kind of open yourself up to different perspectives and thoughts, the better off we'll all be. Yeah. Um, empathy, empathy, I think is the core and, and, and most important thing here. Um, but let's, let's leave it at that. I'm sure on the next pod, we'll be talking about this again too. Um, yeah, we should jump in, but yeah. We'll go ahead and dive in. Okay. Three, two, one. Hold on. Three, two, one.